You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. This is Greg Stokes with Lanyap Podcast. Doug and I are here. Today is Friday, February 17th, Friday before Mardi Gras. Doug, what do you guys got planned for Mardi Gras? It should be a pretty slow week, just given the fact that that our clients are going to be traveling for the most part. Uh, what do you guys got going on? Uh, well, last night was uh, Thursday night, and which is typically like the best best night of Mardi Gras, at least for like the actual parades, because Muses is such a fun parade to watch. And unfortunately, we didn't make it out there because uh, because we thought it was going to rain, and it being I think it was a pretty nice night. But I I just sat on my porch and drank bourbon with my neighbor who actually owns a bourbon company. So. Um, Ended up being pretty nice. I got a big history of uh, bourbon making in Kentucky and et cetera. So that was great. Um, I listened to the bands. Uh, so a bunch of people were walking by my house. A lot of a lot of festi- festivity going on. So um, that's sort of my type of Mardi Gras. And kids were sleeping, and um, so it was pretty nice. We're uh, we're probably just gonna chill today because it's cold outside and. Um, and the parades don't start till late, and then tomorrow we'll be out and about and leave town on Sunday to go skiing. Um, my five and three year old will be in ski school, and then we're going to be hanging out at the house with uh, with our one year old. I was checking the weather though; it's supposed to be we're going to go to Montana. It's supposed to be like negative ten uh, when we're there, so that should be interesting. How about you guys? Well, last night we took it pretty easy. Um, we went to dinner, and on the way on the way home, we got stopped behind a rental truck like a u-haul that was loading up with like 30 two-line kids or loyola kids going to the parade route i I don't understand why under any circumstances a a penske or u-haul would rent a a a moving truck they've got like like 50 cases of beer and and kegs right why would you rent one of those things to like a 21 year old or 20 year old at this point in time but in any event um you can see a lot's going on there's Getting home from work yesterday, there was just absolutely, you could, it's like a parade anxiety in terms of people trying to find parking spots along the route. Both of us live, you live really close to the, to the parade route, I live about a mile away, but um, we have to kind of traverse the route basically to get back home, both of us, and it was really sort of manic in terms of uh, people uh, looking for spots yesterday afternoon, but it really, last weekend was really nice. Um, beautiful day on Sunday, watching the parades, and the kids really love it. Um, but yeah, we're getting out of town as well, too. We're going to go to Colorado and go skiing. The weather looks like it's going to be pretty nice, it's, given the fact that it's probably like a thousand miles south of where you are. should be in the 30s on the mountain. Uh, it'll be a good time to get out of town and, and uh, spend some family time while the kids are out of school. Yeah, the... Um so moving on to markets, well, before we get there, speaking of inflation, so inflation numbers came out this week and they're a little bit hotter than expected, which I think there's just been so much going on since COVID and that no, nobody knows, we've talked about this all the time and Charlie, our compliance guy who actually like approves all of these podcasts before they're released, he basically says, you guys say nobody knows anything too much on your podcast, but it's true. Like nobody really knows um, people make educated guesses on directions of the economy and markets and inflation and whatever. Um, COVID is make amplifying that effect because we've never been in a a period like this before in which there was 
a complete shutdown of the economy. There was massive uh, fiscal and monetary support. And then there's a hangover period that we're in right now and accompanied by high inflation and a bear market. And inflation since really September was uh, was trending downwards. And, uh, and then we got a bit of a stall to that trend uh, in January and, and inflation came in a little bit hotter than expected. The downtrend is still in place, but um, there's just a stall to that. Uh, that So the markets have really been volatile this week because of a fear of sort of stagflation and uh, more Federal Reserve action and things like that. So, um, but it, speaking of inflation, I was uh, and us going skiing. The the cost of like ski school and rentals and all this stuff is insane. It's like going to Disney World. You're like you're going to spending Europe. so much money. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how um, how much it costs just to have somebody babysit your kids on a mountain for like three or four hours at a time. But um, I, I think it's worth anyway, it. Though. So, yeah. it's like it's a gift to give your kids, and hopefully they they can actually retain the knowledge of learning how to ski. Because we both had to learn. Yeah, we didn't. We never went skiing right. when until we were teenagers. But um, yeah, so uh, markets and, and inflation and volatility this week. We really had like a, a great January and great start to February, and then um, hit the brakes a little bit this week. What's your uh, take on everything going on now? This is so January is seasonally a good time of the year in the markets, and the, the latter half of February is likewise a slower time in the markets or more volatile time in the markets just seasonally volatility is pretty low people are tr- president's day which is monday is a market holiday and so the markets are closed and so just in general the, there's more likelihood than not that the markets will sell off this time of the year um, although that can go the other way so there's these sort of seasonal prognostications don't hold a whole lot of weight i think that the markets have really bounced back significantly so i think that the low was on december 28th or something like that and the markets are probably like 15, the, the, the most recent low, I think the actual low is in October, but the most recent low is in, at the end of December. Market's probably up 10, 15% since then, but still 10 or 15% from, from highs. Uh, I think that what's, ended, what's happened is that the uh, market on the whole was surprised uh, positively about the, the strength of the American consumer and the economy, in spite of the fact that the Fed raised rates on the most rapid pace in history. From basically nothing to four and change where we're at right now, and the, the market really—I mean, the economy on the whole—really hadn't slowed down a whole lot. That may end up changing. There's pronostications that there's been about the student loans payments were suspended for a very long time, and then those really started to those resumed three months ago, and so they, those might impact the consumer. But I think that what's what has happened in the last week is that inflation data has really at the beginning of the year, there was signs that inflation had really slowed down, and it looks like that it's showing that inflation is going to be a little bit stickier, and the market is concerned that there's potential that the Fed keeps rates at 5% or higher longer, um, which wouldn't necessarily be negative for the economy and for stocks. But like I said, you combine that with seasonality, and uh, you can have a little choppiness, which, which is what we're seeing right now. Yeah, and I think there's just this uh, this tug of war going on between sort of the the optimistic side of the house in which uh, believes that there's a a realistic chance, which we really this this past summer into the fall saw as as slim 
probability, not, I mean, we as a collective uh, market, um, as slim, slim probability of happening that, you know, inflation would come down without really having a dramatic impact on economic growth, meaning that we wouldn't go into a recession. Um, starting really in October with inflation numbers coming down, but also you know, continued strong job market, continued um, strong consumer, et cetera, it became a realistic probability that that uh, you know, we could get out of this inflation mess without major damage to the economy and without major increase in un- unemployment. And that was really the narrative over the last six weeks. Um, and this this print, uh, that this inflation print, uh, core CPI and, and then producers price in- index um, just came out this week that basically said, uh, you know, it might not be a, a straight downward trajectory on inflation. And so there's a, there's a little bit of uh, fear in the markets that, and maybe that Goldilocks scenario doesn't really work itself out. Um, Here's a positive that I got. This is from Bill McBride. Core CPI X shelter declines to 3.9% year over year. And then core CPI X shelter has increased at an annual 1.3% rate over the last four months. Yeah. And what have we talked about the last few weeks related to shelter? I mean, shelter came in in December at like an 8.5%. Um, uh, annualized rate of inflation. I mean, if you look at the real estate market right now, can you actually realistically say that uh, you know real estate is increased because rents follow prices in real estate? And is real estate really uh, growing at an eight and a half percent rate right now after mortgage rates went up to close to seven percent this summer? Um, so I think that that's something that just has to. There's inflation has the benefit had the negative outcome of, you know, rents increasing at a rapid rate um, for the back half of last year. It will be a tailwind for inflation going into this year that rents will come down at a steady rate, at least in our opinion, just because uh, you know, the cost of debt has go- gone up, and that's a big lever uh, on a downward basis towards the price of real estate and then the price of rents. Yeah, and, and one of the things that's been a big part of, it's been kind of crazy just to see the, the sort of, parabolic increase in the price of eggs. That's also shown to be coming down dramatically. Egg prices that peaked in the beginning of the year and are down basically to two and a half dollars a dozen wholesale. That really hasn't shown up in the, the market in the supermarkets, but presumably that's also gonna that doesn't really have a huge impact other than just like a narrative headline. But these these sort of things, hopefully you would see the the, the actual impact of, of rents is probably is very much a lagging part of the, the CPI picture, and you start to see some of these other things work themselves out. Like the egg thing was related to bird flu. There's been a lot of supply chain related issues. So if, if this all all this flushes out, which it likely will, um, then we we could like we've been hoping we were hoping to, to be talking about something besides the Fed, like we've mentioned um, over the last several podcasts. But here we are. So there was another Fed governor today. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, to get very familiar with these Fed governors, which I don't want to be familiar with them anymore. <laughs> like like Mester or something like that was saying that, I don't even know if that's a Fed governor or not, just you know, picking a name out of the air, said that there's, they're going to look at, they were, they increased rates to 25 basis points the last iteration, and they may consider 50 basis points again. So that's what's 
the market kind of freaked out after he said that. But I, again, hopefully we're talking about something else because there are some positive signs in the actual underlying data that would indicate that, that inflation is chilling out. The other thing that, you know, over the long run, none of this really even matters. These discussions that we're having on a weekly basis, they're fun to have, but um, it's, it, it you know, living day to day in the markets is, uh, is, it will drive you crazy. And uh, for those people that are conservative with, uh, you know, planning and long-term rate of return assumptions and things like that, uh, a day-to-day move in market prices and decisions but by the Federal Reserve in 2023 or 2022 are really going to have a very minimal or, or no impact at all on long-term outcomes. Uh, ben Carlson, who we reference a lot on this podcast, wrote this uh, article, this was like two or three weeks ago, um, or 10 days ago, uh, called Deconstructing 10, 20, and 30-Year Stock Market Returns. And the most interesting aspect of this, he goes through S&P 500 rolling 30-year returns, 1926 to 2023. So that's like, you know, January 26 to January 56, February 26 to February 56. And what he says, so there's been a significant number of rolling 30-year returns. And what he says here is, the lowest annual return over any 30-year period going back to 1926 was 7.8%. That's per year. That's what you got had you invested at the peak of the Roaring Twenties boom in September 1929. You'd have lost more than 80% of your investment in the ensuing crash, the Great Depression, and still made more than 850% over that 30-year period, eight and a half times your money over 30 years. And he says this, Allow me to repeat the, that stat for people in the back. The worst 30-year return over the past 100 years or so was a total gain of 850%. The best 30-year return was 14.8%. That ended in 1968. That was at the bottom of the uh, the Great Depression. But this discussion on a weekly basis about moves with the Federal Reserve and what's going to happen with inflation and 1970s stagflation all over again if we have a repeat of the worst 30-year period, if you're in your 40s right now and you're planning for retirement and you're going to retire in your mid-60s or maybe at early 70s, and you have, you have a, you're just have a bad flip of the coin and you and you're participating in a market period in which is a repeat of the worst market period in history, well, that outcome is that over that ne- the ensuing 30-year period. Uh, an eight and a half times return on your equity portfolio is sort of your your bear case in this scenario. So, um, discussion on on markets is you know exercise in futility and and keeping people invested and towards uh, you know an objective of you know long term planning and discipline is really what this uh, this is all about. It, you made me while you're talking. You made me think about a Yogi Berra quote. It's uh, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's fun to talk about all this stuff, and we hope people enjoy it and um, at least get some sort of context as to what's going on with day to day movement in markets. But re- but remember, this is all this is all kind of like uh, um, you know worthless in the long run. You know, so in the long run, the interesting thing. I, I, did you see uh, Charlie Munger's interview this past week? He's, no. So Charlie Munger is, is uh, Warren Buffett's partner, and one of the, he's a billionaire. 
he's his partner in crime at uh, Berkshire Hathaway. He was his lawyer way back in the day, and then eventually became a big equity holder at Berkshire Hathaway, and now um, helps guide the company. He's 99 years old, and he was interviewed this past um, week. Uh, Warren Buffett, his partner, is 92 years old. Um, he had some interesting things to say. He lost his fastball. He lost his fastball. Right, that's what uh, Dave Portnoy said during, <laughs> during the pandemic. <laughs> uh, old man lost his fastball when, when uh, Portnoy was buying all those like meme stocks and stuff, and Buffett was sticking with Exxon and, and uh, Coca-Cola and everything. Yeah, so uh, Munger was had some interesting things to, to say, and I wanted, I wanted to, number one, it's pretty impressive that he's, he's able to do these things at this particular age. Also saw an interesting stat, too. This is, this is about Ichiro Suzuki. So also, like, people can do amazing things at, um, at extended ages. This is, this is uh, MLB hits by a member of the 3,000 hit club through age 26. And he uh, scrolled down to the bottom. And Ichiro Suzuki had zero hits uh, before age 26. Because he was in Japan. Right, because he was in Japan. But So you can accomplish amazing things at at extended ages, like I remember, if you look back as well too. This is I'm going went down a rabbit hole here, but like uh, Ray Kroc was in his 50s when he, when he acquired McDonald's from the McDonald brothers. KFC guy Colonel uh, Colonel Sanders was also in, I think he was like in his late 50s or early 60s. Anyway, so Munger, 99 years old, amazing shape. He had some very strong opinions about California. He he. Um, if you go on UCSB's campus, there's a Munger School. He's a big proponent of US, UCSB. And a big, he's, I think he's from originally from that from LA or something like that. But anyway, um, he had some interesting thoughts on California that they were driving out people um, that from a political standpoint. They were raising taxes on the wealthy. People were moving, which is happening if you look at the data, um, sadly. And then also, he, he had really interesting comments on cryptocurrency. And he said that he was embarrassed to U.S. government allowed, allowed cryptocurrency basically to, to get to where it's gotten and thinks it's a scam, etc. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on uh, on Munger in general, and then on on his perspectives on cryptocurrency and California. Um, I think I have a lot of thoughts on Munger. One of them is that he is a, a huge proponent of investing in China. Um, and specifically bought a significant uh, portion of his portfolio in Alibaba, I think earlier last year, or maybe the in 2021, which, yeah, and it was cut, it was, it declined by you know, almost like 60 or 70 percent, and he sold it. Um, I would say he's also been previously a big proponent of investing U.S. investors to invest more in China, which I've been, um, not a big fan of that, just specifically uh, because of just the opacity of that particular regime. And uh, U.S. investors don't actually have rights, shareholder rights, uh, rights to cash flow. You just have appreciation value of the stock. And what's the what's that really worth if it can be uh, nationalized by the Chinese government? Um, so that I'm a, a critic of his on um, crypto. I really don't have a dog in that that fight. I. I think that there's potential with blockchain technology in terms of sort of like the trustless systems. And it, it seems like there's um, still a lot of uh, development going on in that space. But um, 
in terms of not having these cryptocurrencies trade without regulation um, and then allowing for sort of these centralized uh, clearing houses and exchanges uh, to run without really regulation other than Coinbase, uh, that's where you know, it opens the door to you know, the people like Sam Bankman-Fried to take advantage and really um, you know, steal, from, steal from regular people. And so I think he's right there. I think his biggest uh, his his uh, biggest advancement in the investment business has really been moving Warren Buffett away from sort of the Ben Graham uh, like super value uh, cigar butts type uh, type investing, in which you get one last puff out before it goes uh, the you know the cigar goes out, but you make some money in that last puff to buying really high quality businesses that produce cash flow and hold them over very long periods of time. As Buffett calls it, wonderful businesses at a fair price. He got that from Munger. Um, and so I think that's been a huge contribution and I think he speaks his mind and I think he's right on most everything and, and wrong on a couple of things. Um, and we'll see what he thinks about crypto. I, I think it's, I mean, it's hard for a 99 year old to, um, I, I don't really even know what's going on with t- technology these days and the new technology waves. I can't imagine somebody that's almost 100 uh, trying to understand what's going on with uh, new technology. I know those guys both never really invested in Internet-based companies, and the, they still haven't really other than Apple um, in the early 2000s because they were in their 70s at the time. And so uh, I can't imagine um, you know, if, if crypto is the next wave that – that somebody that's in their 90s would really uh, have the capacity to understand that. So speaking of Bitcoin, I read there was an article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal about how there's six coders. So Bitcoin is like the gold standard in crypto crypto because it hasn't been hacked. It's been around for like 12 or 13 years or something like that. And But there's actual ongoing maintenance to the underlying code of Bitcoin. It's done by six individuals. And the Wall Street Journal details this. It seems kind of suspect the, the actual ongoing maintenance of this, there there have been bugs in the past, according to this article, that really could have synced Bitcoin. Like, apparently at one point a few years ago, there was an inflation bug that the Wall Street Journal article details that would allow somebody to effectively spend the same Bitcoin over and over again. They were able to catch it and update the code. But the people, the underlying people that work on the Bitcoin code that make these updates and changes to keep it secure, only make like a hundred or one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, so there's it's, it seems like there's this was really intriguing to me. I I'm so um, naive basically to the actual underlying technology associated with these cryptocurrencies. It just seems like there's this is sort of like ripe for disaster. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Is the answer good answer? All right. Well, we'll leave it at that and hope everybody uh, that's in New Orleans that's listening has a happy and safe Mardi Gras. And uh, we'll be back next week, I think, with a guest. Um, And so anyway, hope everybody enjoys this episode and please share with your friends and give us a five star review. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.